Renovate is a ministry at Christ Chapel for young adults in Fort Worth, Texas. On today's podcast, we're jumping back into a series called The Stories Jesus Told. Josh is going to talk about the parable in Matthew 20, which is really a story about being graciously unfair. It hit home for me, and I bet it will for you too. Good evening. How are we doing? Pretty good? All right. Uh, good deal. Well, hey, let's go Matthew chapter 20. Um, Matthew chapter 20. We'll be hanging out there uh, this morning, or this evening, rather. Um, so I, I don't know what kind of, a, what, kind of what your church background is, or kind of what uh, your history in the church is, um, but for me, I, I grew up in the church, um, and, and growing up in the church, I found that I, uh, I experienced in the church a, a bitterness that was kind of unique. Um, this kind of bitterness that would kind of well up from time to time, and, and it would kind of play out something like, like this. Someone would stand up and have like either a guest speaker or someone would stand up and share their story, and they would begin to kind of list off every like sin that they had committed before meeting Christ, and they would just kind of lay it on pretty thick, right? So he would say something like, man, I, I partied harder than anyone could ever party. I slept with more people than I could count. I mean, I chased money. I chased power. I chased status. I chased literally everything that the world told me would satisfy. And, and after I did all those things, man, I kind of felt empty. And in my emptiness, the Lord met me there, and he brought me out of it, and he saved me, and he redeemed me. Now my life hasn't been the same, the same since. Now, if that's your story, that, that's a phenomenal story. Like, praise God that we have a God who will save and redeem and chase us into the darkest corners of the world so that we can know that we are loved and cherished. But where I was in my faith at that time as a kid is I would hear stories like that, and this bitterness would just well up within me. And the reason why that bitterness would well up within me is because I would hear that story, and I would think that person got to experience all the quote-unquote pleasures that the world has to offer, and they still get Jesus. That person ran from the Lord, rebelled against the Lord, did whatever the heck they wanted to do for however many years they wanted to do it, while me over here, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to do whatever I can to look more like Christ in that person in me. We, at the end of the day, get the exact same salvation. For some reason, that doesn't seem fair. And this bitterness would well up because I would look at my situation and what I was trying to do and what I was doing for the Lord. And there's just something about the fact that we both got Jesus, that we both got the same thing that just kind of created some bitterness within me. Because I felt like I needed more. I felt like I deserved more. And as I kind of look back on, on, on that and kind of try and figure out, like, why? Why was that a thing that would create bitterness within me? Why would the salvation of people create bitterness? I find that I think part of it is that we live in a, in a performance-based culture. Right? We live in this kind of performance-based, merit-based, works-based culture. And the core value of a performance-based culture is fairness. The core value, meaning the thing that is kind of the central tenet of a performance-based culture is the idea that you get what you earn, right? That you receive what you have rightfully worked for, right? And the chief offense in a, in a purpose-based or a performance-based culture is someone receiving something that they haven't worked for. 
It's receiving something that they haven't earned, something that's just given to them, right? And you can look around our world, and whether it's work or school or whatever it is, I mean, I mean, in middle school, I learned this, right? Like, I don't know kind of how your, your like, middle school cafeteria went, but for us, pizza roll day was, like, the jam. Like, everyone knew, like, oh, dude, pizza roll day is the day. And at the end, like, the smart kids would kind of look up and be like, well, everyone else has been fed, and there's, like, six pizza rolls left. And they'll walk up there and say, hey, can I have, like, one more pizza roll? And what do they say? Nah. Why? Well, because there's not enough for everybody. Well, everyone's not asking. I'm asking. Right, right, right. But if I give you one, they have to give one to everyone else, and that's not fair to everyone else. If you get one, and they don't get one, so no. And it's like, literally, I'm the only one asking for a piece. Like, like no one will know. Like, just give it, right? But like, we, like we all understand from a young age that like there's just certain things that's like, no, no. It's we are ruled by fairness, right? And I bring that up because I think that if we're honest, uh, living and being entrenched in a performance-based culture can easily bleed over into our spiritual life. And this idea that, that the core value of getting what you deserve and getting what you have earned and, and working for or being rewarded for work, right, it's easy to transfer that over to our relationship with God, where we begin to look at God and we begin to feel entitled, begin to feel like God owes us something because of what we've done, and reversely, we get bitter when we feel like someone who hasn't worked as hard as us, someone hasn't been as obedient as we are, someone hasn't loved the Lord the way that we have, when they get something that we don't get, man, we just feel robbed. We feel bitter. Now, the good news is that we're not the first people uh, to battle this. We're not the first people to, to kind of bring a performance-based mindset towards our relationship with God. In fact, the people in Jesus' day had the exact same problem. They had kind of developed this idea that, man, God owes me something, that if I'm good, then, then I'm rewarded based on my works, based on my merit, based on how I perform before him. Um, and Jesus sees that. And what Jesus decides to do is to tell his people a little story. And in the story, what he is trying to reveal is that the kingdom of God works drastically different from the way that our world works. Right? We live in a performance-based mindset. And he's saying, no, no, the kingdom of God does not revolve around the core value of fairness. The kingdom of God does not revolve around the idea that you get what you earn or that you work for reward. The kingdom of God works drastically different. So what I want us to do tonight is really simple. I want us to, to read this story, and I want us to figure out, all right, how does the kingdom of God actually work? Because if the core value within the kingdom of God is something different from ours, then maybe we should reorient what we value. Maybe the core value that we orient our lives around should match the core value of our God. And so we're going to figure that out uh, tonight. So um, before we dive in, though, let me uh, kind of give a little bit of context. Uh, the story that Jesus is about to tell uh, in Matthew 20 is a response to a question that Peter asks in chapter 19. Um, so in chapter 19, uh, we are introduced to this guy that's commonly referred to as the rich young ruler. Uh, he's a guy that we know is rich, and he's young, and apparently he rules something. And so he shows up, and he's a baller, and, uh, and he says, hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, what must I I, I do. And he goes on to explain this. I mean, I've followed the law since I was a kid. I've been meticulous about following the law. Like, I've, I've been really, really good. So, so surely that, that earns me something. And so Jesus, seeing his heart and trying to test his heart, says, well, how about this? Um, if you will sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you just come follow me. If you trade everything you have for a relationship with me, and I'm your ultimate value, then you can have eternal life. 
And the text says that this guy gets really, really sad because he has a ton of cash. And so he decides, like, hey, as much as I like Jesus, I, I'm not willing to choose him over my stuff. And so he walks away. And our boy Peter, and I love Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, he is a disciple of Christ. Uh, he is a, a moron, which gives me a ton of hope for myself um, because uh, Jesus loved Peter deeply, which assures me that Jesus probably loves me deep, deeply as well, despite my uh, moronic activity. Um, and so uh, Peter sees this go down and he says, oh, he just said that he'd be good if he like gave up everything to follow Christ. And he says, hey, so... Um, I heard you talking to that, that guy, um, and I noticed that uh, we have all given up everything to follow you. We, we, we actually did that thing that you told him to do. Like, we, we left our, our homes and our family and our money, and we, we left all that stuff to come follow you. So if he was going to get eternal life, then what do we get? What do we get for that? Because, I mean, surely we get something awesome. What's the reward that you're going to give us for our performance? What is the reward that you're going to give us for all the things that we've done for you? And I imagine that Jesus just kind of shook his head, which is a very common thing in my mind. Um, he's like, oh, Peter, man, um, love you, bro. But here's the thing. Um, you have been abundantly faithful, and you will be rewarded. Like, your faithfulness will be recognized. That is true. But what I want to make sure that you don't misunderstand is that any reward that you get is not based on your work. If I recognize you, if I reward you, if I bless you, if I grace you with something, I don't want you to ever feel like you're entitled to that. I don't want you to ever feel like God owes you something because of your performance, because that's not how the kingdom of God works. It's just not. And so in order to kind of drive this point home, he tells this story in, in chapter 20. And so let me read this story, and then we'll begin to break it down. This is chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with them for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, which for our context is 9 o'clock in the morning. So going about 9 o'clock in the morning, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said, hey, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And going out again about the sixth hour, which is noon for us, and the ninth hour, which is three o'clock for us, he did the exact same thing. And about the eleventh hour, which is five o'clock for us, he went out and he found others standing there. And he said, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said, all right, you'll, you go into the vineyard too, and when evening came, the owner said to his foreman, call the men and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about uh, five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, but he replied to one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Then take what belongs to you and go. I, I choose to give to this last one as I give to you. And am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Right, this is a very, very rich 
rich text. So let's begin to kind of break this down. Um, in response to the question that Peter has, he says, all right, the kingdom of God is like a guy who owns a vineyard. And this dude goes out um, around 5 o'clock to 5.30 in the morning because uh, the typical work day during this, this time was 12-hour day. It would be from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so he would go, to, go out around like 5 or 5.30, and he found the most willing, ambitious guys, guys who are there, like ready to work, looking for, for work. And he does something really, really awesome. He negotiates with these guys for how much they want to work. They, he lets them kind of pick how much they want to work for. And so they negotiate this deal, and they both agree to work for what's called a denarius, which is uh, the common way of saying that was like a day's wage. So right off the bat, we know this is a very fair deal, right? A full day's work for a full day's wage. Totally fair. And these guys negotiated their own deal. Pretty cool, right? Well, as the day went on, the owner realized, hey, you know what? I, I need some more people to work which would have been a very like, common thing because if you know anything about grapes, um, I say that like I know a lot about grapes. I studied this this week, so it's, it's cool. Um, anyway, but what I learned, learned about grapes is that uh, the market value of a grape um, relies on the sugar con content. So you don't want it to be too sweet or too bitter. And so like, if you can get the perfect sweetness, that's what makes your grape sell, right? So odds are this guy realized that this is the prime time for my grapes. I need to get them off the vine today because even if you waited a couple days to pluck them off the vine, that could change the sweetness of the grape. So all of a sudden he's like, all right, these, these guys are great, but man, I need some more dudes. So he runs out again at nine o'clock and says, all right, I need some guys. And notice that he doesn't allow them to, to negotiate their deal, but he's like, hey, I'm fair. I'll take care of you. I'll make sure that you get paid well. Like, I just need some guys. They're like, great. So they, they go in. He comes back at noon. He comes back at three. And then he goes out again at five. He's saying, all right, we have an hour left of daylight. I need some guys to just get all the grapes off of the vine. Will you come work for me? And he goes out, and these guys go work for an hour. So at the end of the day, everyone's tired. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone's ready to go home and kick their feet up. And so the foreman comes out, and he starts to kind of divvy out everybody's pay. And he starts with the guys who got hired last, the guys who got paid for an hour's worth of work, the guys who've been there since five. And lo and behold, the dude pulls out a denarius, a full day's wage. He says, here you go. This is a gracious gesture, right? That you only work an hour. That you just like slip in and you get paid an entire day's wage. That's phenomenal. That is unbelievable generosity right, right there. Right? Then he goes to the guys that came in at three, and he gives them a denarius too, and he keeps going down. And so he gets to the guys that he hired first, and what does he give them? He also gives them the denarius that they agreed to work for. And what's interesting is I think there is um, an, an insight into the minds of these guys that's really interesting. In verse 10, it says, now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a Denarius. That phrase, they, they thought, they just assumed that they would receive more, I think is a really interesting thought. And it makes me ask why. Like these dudes signed their own contract. Like what on earth would possess them to think that they would receive more than what they agreed to work for? That would be like you signing a deal to work a job for 50 grand a year and then just expecting to make 75. And it's like, that makes zero sense. Like that makes no sense at all. Like why, why would you assume that you would make more than you agreed to work for? Well, because these guys also lived in a performance-based culture where the core value is that you receive what you have earned. 
You make what you deserve. And again, the chief offense, the most offensive thing in a performance-based culture is anybody receiving something that they didn't work for, receiving something that they didn't earn. And these guys are offended. They are offended. And they let the owner know. Like they skip the foreman and they go right to the owner and they say, are you kidding me, bro? Are you serious? Like what kind of leader are you? Like we worked for 12 hours. We worked all day long. We experienced the heat of the day. We busted our tails for you. And that chump who came in at five o'clock, the guy who just worked an hour, like he gets paid the same as me. Are you kidding me? I mean, they're like offended. They're angry. They're bitter. And if I'm honest, like I can resonate, right? Like I think if we're all honest, we have something deep within us that that kind of gets angry and bitter when we sense there's some kind of disparity. When we look at our situation, we start playing that comparison game and we think, well, well, well I did more than that person, right? Like if you're at work and, and you know that there's someone who makes the exact same amount of money as you, but they do a fraction of the work, there's something within you that probably gets a little bitter, right? If you're in school and you're in a, in a group project and there's someone who never shows up, never does any of the work and is just always slacking, yet at the end of the day, they get the same grade as you who did all the work, like there's, the, like there's some bitterness there. It makes total sense because that's the culture that we live in, right? So, so it, it's understandable why these guys would be upset. But then the owner just says something really profound that should make us kind of rethink some of the ways that we think about fairness. He says, look, I've done you no wrong. I paid you exactly what you agreed to work for. I've been completely fair to you. In fact, that's the definition of fair, giving you what you have agreed to work for. So what's really going on here, my friend, is that you don't really have a problem with my fairness. This isn't about you being upset because I've been unfair to you. You have a problem with the fact that I've been generous to those guys. The problem is, is not me being unfair to you. It's me being generous to them. That's what's making you upset. And for us, that's the crux of this passage. It's this idea that if we were to apply this to ourselves and, and look at the way that we kind of approach God or we approach others, most of the time our bitterness and our problem is not with God being unfair to us. It's with God being generous to other people that we have deemed undeserving. We start, we start to play this comparison game where we look at our situation compared to theirs and we just kind of begin to think that's unfair. I'm deserving and they're not. And our problem is with the generosity. And we know this because he asks this really, really sobering question at the end. I don't know if you caught it or not, but he, but he finishes and he says, do you begrudge my generosity? He looks at these guys who are, who are obviously upset, obviously bitter at this kind of seeming unfairness, this kind of disparity. He says, do you begrudge my generosity? Or in other words, does my generosity upset you? Does my generosity upset you? Does the fact that I wanted that guy's family to eat tonight, does that upset you? Does the fact that I took care of his family the way that I took care of your family, does that upset you? I think that is a question that should make us just really stop for a second and reflect and just think about the implications of that. Because I think if God were to ask us that question to our faces, I, th I think we all know the right churchy Christian answer, right? 
the right churchy Christian answer is to say, no, 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 no. I'm good. Like, I'm not upset at your generosity. No, no. I, I love how generous you are. I love that you gave that guy who worked for an hour the same pay as me. Like, no, I'm totally for it, right? Because we know that's, that's like the right thing to say. But if we're honest, if I'm honest, there are moments in time where if God were to ask me that question, what my heart really wants to scream is, yes, yes, I'm upset. I feel robbed. I feel like you owe me. I feel like I've done all this stuff. And they get what I get, and I'm, I'm mad. And what Jesus is trying to explain to us in this text is the idea that God's economy does not work like our economy. That what's going on in this text is that the kingdom of God does not revolve around the core value of fairness. The kingdom of God does not revolve around the idea that you get what you deserve. It actually works the opposite. The kingdom of God revolves around the idea that you actually get what you don't deserve and could never earn. The core value of the kingdom of God is grace, right? I mean, that's the entire basis of the gospel, right? The gospel is not the story that we have earned favor with God because we're awesome. The story of the gospel is the story that we have a God who, despite our rebellion, despite how we run, despite how we do all these things, he continues to love us and chase after us and pursue us and give us the things that we can never earn. It's the story of our sins separating us from God and rightfully earning us death, yet out of grace, allowing Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. So that now when God looks upon us, he doesn't see our guilt or our shame. He sees us as sons and daughters of the king. And he invites us into relationship. Ever thought about the fact that God could have just saved you and moved on? Said, yeah, I'm not going to punish you eternally. You're good. Yet our God doesn't do that. He, he doesn't just save us. He goes the extra mile and he, he adopts us. He invites us into relationship. He calls us sons and daughters. He, he gives us a status that we don't deserve. We can never earn. And, and what we find is that that is how the kingdom of God works. And as, a, as I've been reflecting this week, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want fairness. As much as I think that I want things to be fair, I don't want fairness because I know me. I know what I deserve. I know what I've rightfully earned. And I don't want God to be fair to me. I want God to be gracious to me. And the beauty of this parable is that we have a God who has said, hey, the way that my kingdom works, the way that I have um, orchestrated all of this to work is that I have value grace over fairness. So for us, the question is, man, what do we, what do, we do with this? How do we take this and actually apply this? And I, th I think that we, this is a text that calls us to kind of reevaluate how we kind of orient our lives and kind of what we consider to be a core value, and more specifically, that we should value grace over fairness. And what I mean is that we all have these kind of core values that we kind of center our lives around, right? A core value is something that you kind of develop over the years, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, and, and what a core value does is it dictates how you navigate life. It dictates how you live, right? And so if fairness is your core value, it will dictate your life, Specifically, it will dictate how you interact with people and how you interact with God. So if fairness or the idea that, that, man, the way the world works is that you get what you deserve, you get what you earn, that will dictate how you interact with the people around you, 
the people at work, the people at school, your family. It also dictates the way that you approach God. And as we've seen, it creates a lot of bitterness. And what Jesus is trying to say is that, hey, if your God values grace over fairness, maybe, maybe we should value grace over fairness as well. We should orient our lives around the core value of grace that will dictate how we interact with others, how we approach God based on the idea that, man, grace is the idea that I have received what I don't deserve and what I could never earn, this generous grace that's been offered to me. Now, but I want to talk about how we do that, how we value grace over fairness. But before we do that, I just want us to spend like a second just to talk about what happens if we don't. Because I think this is the point in every sermon where you have a choice and I have a choice, where we've read the word of God, we know what it says, we know what it's calling us to, but now we have a choice to walk out here and say, oh, that was neat, or to actually go and apply the word of God and listen to the word of God. And I think oftentimes the danger is we don't really know what happens if we don't apply this, if we don't actually obey the word of God. So a couple of things happen if we leave here and we think, no, I'm going to continue prioritizing or valuing fairness over, over grace. A couple of things happen. The first is this, is that we, we just spend a lot of time feeling bitter, right? And we talked about this. But we just spend a lot of time feeling bitter. And we see in this text that, that the instinctual reaction when you value fairness over grace is to just assume that you've been slighted, assume that you've been robbed. Right? I mean, their instinctual reaction is to look at this disparity and say, that's not fair. You are unfair. Right? In no way did any of them stop and say, hey, you know what? That's a crazy cool gesture. Like, he could have easily like, not given him a full day's wage. But man, how gracious is that guy? I mean, I, I will come work for this vineyard owner every day of my life if that's the kind of stuff that he pull, pulls out. Because maybe if he's generous to that guy, then when I'm down on my luck, he'll be generous to me. Oh, man, this is a really cool deal. Like, like that never crossed anybody's mind. There was never any sort of kind of thought about, man, let's, let's, let's contemplate how generous this guy is. No, it jumps straight to bitterness because that's how we work when fairness is our core value. And so for you, maybe you find that, man, you are just stuck in bitterness. Or maybe you're stuck in bitterness and you don't even know that you're stuck in bitterness. So I'll ask you a couple questions to figure it out. A sign that maybe you are stuck in bitterness and that you prioritize fairness over grace is that you have a hard time celebrating people when God is gracious to them. That when God blesses somebody else, that you, you look at them and instead of celebrating them and being happy for them and, and, and championing them, you're just bitter. Or maybe you're, you're just quick to point out reasons why someone is undeserving of God's generosity. That God blesses somebody else, that he blesses them financially, that, they bless, that he blesses their relationship. He blesses them in some way. He shows them unbelievable kindness, unbelievable grace. And your first reaction is to say, really? I thought God was all-knowing. Apparently God didn't know about that thing. Apparently, God wasn't aware that they were doing that. And, and, and you just kind of pick apart reasons why they're undeserving of the grace of God. Or maybe it's just the fact that you just feel absolutely robbed when someone gets something that you feel like you've earned. When someone around you gets something that you feel entitled to, and you just feel robbed. 
If you respond in those ways, then what's happening is that there is a bitterness that is creeping up because fairness trumps grace in your mind. And what we've been called to is to prioritize and value grace over fairness. And it would kill me for you to spend the majority of your life feeling bitter. That's no way to live life. That's no way to live life. The second is this. If we don't um, value grace over fairness, really simply put, we're just kind of hypocrites, if we're honest. Right? Because if you are a believer in the room, if you have been a, a recipient of the grace of God, that is the most unfairly generous gift in the history of the world. The way you, what you've earned is, is death, and God gave you life. That you've, that you've earned like separation and you have been given relationship. So for us to, to be on the receiving end of grace and then immediately turn it and shake our fists when, when we see people who receive grace, when we see God being generous to them and we get upset about that or we get bitter about that because it's not fair, that's hypocritical. Because we have a God who has been showing us grace and so we should be the biggest champions of grace that there is. So how do we do this? Really quick, let me just give you kind of two quick application points. The first is this. We need to reflect daily on God's generosity toward us. We need to daily reflect on how God has been generous and gracious to us. And what I mean is that the moments in time when I'm so easily bent towards fairness, the moments when I feel entitled, the moments when I feel like God owes me something, the moments when I feel robbed, are the moments where I have completely lost sight of how generous God has been to me, how gracious God has been to me. But when I stop long enough to just reflect on how God has been good to me, how he's been kind to me, how he's been compassionate to me, when I begin to think about the grace of the family that I was born into, when I think about the grace of the education that I received, I think about the grace of the woman that I got to marry, when I think about the grace of the job that I have that I love, when I think about the fact that God has graciously never made me wonder where a meal was gonna come from, the friends that, that I have, the community, like all these things that I'm not entitled to, but God has graciously given me. When I actually stop long enough to dwell, I'm overwhelmed by the grace and the goodness and just the sheer generosity of our God. And when I'm reminded of how God has been gracious to me and kind to me and generous to me, then when I see others experience grace, then I can champion that. I don't feel offended. I don't cry unfair. I say, man, isn't our God awesome? I'm so glad that you get to experience the same grace that I've been privy to. But we can't do that if we don't stop and reflect. And it's hard. It's, it's hard in our culture to, to have the awareness. And so there's a call for us to just stop and daily reflect on the goodness of our God. That's freeing. The second, I would say, say this, that we need to learn to celebrate God's generosity towards others. We need to learn how to be people who celebrate when God is generous to others. Right? I think a, a sign of spiritual growth or spiritual maturity a sign that we have come to a place where we value or prioritize grace over fairness is when we have the ability to joyfully and authentically celebrate others when God has been good to them. That is not a, oh, 
cool. I'm so happy for you. You know, like, like the idea of like, like I mean, I'm, I'm not faking it. Like when, when God has been just gracious and generous to somebody else, even if he gives them something that I want, do we have the awareness and the maturity to say, hey, man, that's awesome. Can I celebrate alongside you? When, when you've been longing for a relationship and someone beside you gets a relationship and you've just wanted that for so long, do you have the ability to say, man, that, that's incredible. Let's celebrate God being good to you. When for so long you've wanted to have a kid and you can't have a kid, but someone next to you has a kid, you can have the ability to celebrate and say, man, that's incredible. Let's celebrate that. When you have been faithful at work and you've just been wanting this promotion for so long and the person in the cube next to you gets promoted and, and not you, that you have the ability to say, man, let's celebrate the fact that God has been so good to you. And that's hard. That's really difficult. But if we are people who really understand the value and, and the understanding of grace, that it is something that we're not entitled to. God's goodness, God's generosity is not something that we're entitled to. But it's something that he lavishes upon us that's undeserved. We can't earn it. When we understand that in comparison to what we've been given, it allows us to be celebratory. And just imagine for a second, imagine if we had the freedom to be people who celebrated. Imagine if God's goodness and his grace and his generosity to other people didn't fuel our bitterness, but it fueled our worship. Imagine if we weren't like the bitterness police anymore, where we didn't have to walk, walk around pointing out why people are so undeserving, but we had this freedom to just celebrate. Imagine how different our relationships would be. Imagine how, how much fun people would have being in our presence because they knew that we were always down to celebrate. And I have to believe this would be a much more fun place to be if we all led with grace, if our core value, the thing that we led with was the idea, not that we get what we deserve, but man, we have a God who gives us what we don't deserve and cannot earn, and that's incredible, and so that's how we're gonna live our life. That's how I'm gonna approach relationships. That's gonna how I'm gonna approach people at work or at school, and that's how I'm gonna approach, my God, this sense of I have been so undeserving in the grace that I've received and just creates this culture of worship and celebration. Last thing I'll say is this. If you're in here and you hear this thing about grace and you're thinking, I don't know what that is. I've never experienced that. I don't think it's an accident that you're in the room. My hope and my prayer is that you don't leave tonight without experiencing this grace that is freely available to you. The beauty of the gospel is that our God's core value is not fairness. It's not that you get what you deserve. It's not that you, you work hard and you get rewarded and, and God pats you on the back for your good works. No, the beauty of the gospel is that our God says, no, no, what I have centered my kingdom around is the central tenet that you don't get what you deserve. Because what you deserve is death. Yeah, out of a love and a compassion for you, I've decided to give you what you don't deserve and you cannot earn. And now you get to come have relationship with the God of the universe. No fear of death, no guilt, no shame. Just right relationship with him. My prayer 
is that we understand that grace. And so if you've never accepted that grace, if you don't know what that grace looks like, and don't leave here tonight without accepting the grace that's been freely offered to you. Let me pray. God, it is an understatement to say that you are a gracious God. And if I'm honest, I think so often we just throw around the phrase that you are good, you are kind, you are generous, you are gracious. And in using those terms while they're true, I think sometimes we don't understand, or at least I don't understand the gravity of what that means. I don't often reflect on the chasm between your holiness and my depravity. Of how good and right you are and how sinful and rebellious I am, yet you are a God who has not left me in my sin, not left me on my own. No matter how many times I, I run from you, you pursue me, you chase me into the darkest of places and you bring me out. Father, may we be a people that celebrate that. May we center our lives around this idea of grace and generosity. May it flow out of our conversations. May it flow out of our love for people. May it change the way that we approach you. God, will you rid us of all this anger and bitterness? Will you break, break, us, break us of that in light of the grace that you've shown to us? God, we love you. Is there something to pray? Amen. Well, that message from Josh came just at the right time in my life because I really needed to hear that. God's priority is grace over fairness. We get what we don't deserve, but also what we could never earn. That's a crazy concept. If that's new to you, let that sink in. Don't just skip to the next thing today without really considering if you have a true understanding of grace. The grace that Jesus offers is free and transforming. It takes us beyond anything we've ever understood and changes us to be more like him, more like a person who extends that same grace to others and celebrates God's blessings all around us. If you're in Texas near Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you in person. Renovate is on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., and we serve free dinner to those of you who show up 45 minutes early to hang out with us. There are two more this year, and we'll be on a break until January 16th in 2019. So for more updates about Renovate, join us online at RenovateFTW.org or follow us on social media at RenovateFTW.